Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to the Inside Strategic Coach Podcast with Dan Sullivan. Dan, this conversation that we're about to have is a really interesting one because it talks about the impact of technology, which a lot of people can experience as being very disruptive, and people in the technology world can describe it as being disruptive. But you found a much more... I think, positive and proactive way to talk about it, which is really in terms of transformation. So can you talk about why the mindset around what's happening is really important? You know, it's almost like a mission statement for a lot of technology companies that we're going to disrupt this or we're going to disrupt that. And it's almost like graffiti artists or vandals, you know, that's kind of akin, it's an attitude. It just strikes me as kind of a destructive mindset that we're going to make life miserable for somebody else. And there's no value proposition in the word disruption. So it's not that we're going to create something better. And, you know, in the technology world, I'll just contrast two mission statements, Facebook, which they no longer use because they discovered what happens when you have a mission statement. And their mission statement is move quickly and break things, okay? So I'll come back to that in just a few seconds. And then Apple, which there was an article in Fortune magazine, I believe, where they were projecting which present technology giants would still be so 100 years from now. And they said, well, of all the companies out there, when you think of the big ones like Amazon and Google and or Alphabet, as they call themselves, or kind of their overall company, and then Facebook and Twitter. They said that Apple probably has the best chance of being a 100-year company, and one of the things in its favor is its mission statement is that we make beautiful technology that people love using. So contrast, move quickly and break things with we make beautiful technology that people love using. There's got to be an understanding of two worlds here. The technology world basically, at least for the last 50 years, has really been about extending the usefulness of digital technology. With the microchip, it became possible to look at many, many different aspects of life and convert it down into a digital decision-making language where you have a one or a zero, so it's binary. Mm -hmm. And anything that can be converted, you know, language can be done, data can be done with that. There's all sorts of things that can be done with that. But it does have some limitations where that language doesn't really work. And that crosses into another world, and that other world is the world that's controlled by the laws of gravity and the laws of material <laughs> and the laws of you know, thermodynamics. And so what I think that disruption, the word disruption does, they're basing it on that they're going to exploit or maximize Moore's law. Moore's law is the digital law. Moore himself never thought about it as a law. He said mm -hmm. it was just a way of thinking about the future in such a way that it gave you an optimistic point that you could imagine things in the future because a certain amount of our capabilities now, we can actually experience things exponentially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's all sorts of examples of that, the telecommunications network, the Internet, 
social media and that really expanded very, very quickly. But there are certain things, you know, which are still governed by the laws of nature and real-time time. One of the laws that governs that were formulated by Isaac Newton. And Sir Isaac Newton, his third law in particular, I'm going to bring this to bear to the whole conversation about why transformation is better than disruption. And Newton's third law is for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. So if your mission statement is to move quickly and break things, well, (laughs) you're going to trigger Newton's third law. And I think any statement about disrupting someone else immediately triggers Newton's third law. Mm. Oftentimes, Newton's third law comes in the form of lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) Or it comes in the form of government investigative committees, which are usually made up of lawyers. <laughs> and it's a way you think you're going to do something, you think you're going to do it fast, and you think you're going to create an entirely new world. Well, we've got news for you. What I notice now is it's a very, very interesting thing. I just had a podcast with Mike Koenigs on Monday, and he had just come back from the annual meeting of Berkshire Hathaway, the very famous Warren Buffett and his famous working partner, Charlie Munger. I want to just give a contrast between Warren Buffett and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. So I read an article about a month ago that Mark Zuckerberg's security detail, which protects him personally and then his family and then key individuals at Facebook, not only when they're at work, but when they're in private, numbers over 100. And the very, very latest security technology all sorts of security systems and sensors and everything like that. And whenever he travels, he travels with a large entourage. And a report from one of my limousine drivers here in the city of Toronto. So I have a limousine service, so I gave up personally driving in the city about 15, 20 years ago because, you know, I don't really enjoy the experience and I have a driver. So people have been talking about, well, in the future you have driverless cars. Well, I've been driverless (laughs) in terms of myself for, you know, going on two decades now because I don't see any need to be involved in the activity. I like getting from A to B, but I just don't want to be in the operator there. (laughs) So anyway, he was talking about having Warren Buffett in the city, and he came alone, and he had no entourage with him, and he more or less sat in the front seat of the limousine, and he took him from place to place. And so I said, yeah, I think the reason is why Mark Zuckerberg needs 70 to 100 or whatever the number is of security personnel is because of his mission statement of move quickly and break things. And if you are threatening to break things, people will threaten you with all sorts of bad things. Bodily harm. And my feeling is that the secret to Berkshire Hathaway is move slowly and build things. And I think the rules for the actual world of gravity, the physical world, is that you can use the digital world to help you but only to the point where you interact with what it takes to actually make things work in the real world. And there, I think you actually have to go slowly, and you actually have to build things, and you transform things by moving slowly. And moving slowly is that you check things out. And one of the things, if there's going to be too much resistance or there's going to be too much opposition, you don't do it. You do something else. 
So my feeling is that what's happening with the entire technology world now, they've made too many disruption threats, and now the whole world is responding backwards against them. People don't like being disrupted. People do like being part of transformative process where everybody gets to be involved in actually making things better. People really love that. Mm -hmm. So I have strategic coach clients who have caught the high-tech fever, and they say, yeah, I've got a new process and it's going to totally disrupt the insurance industry. And I said, I don't think that's a good plan. It's not good for you to even have that thought in your mind because I think it makes you look at the wrong things because you're attacking what exists rather than actually creating something that's actually new. So I don't think that disruption is really innovative at all. The other thing is that people who think they've come up with a new idea to disrupt things are missing the point. It's not individuals who actually disrupt things. It's individuals who create some new thing that promises consumers that it'll be easier, faster, it'll be cheaper, and it'll produce a bigger result. And it's actually the consumers that transform things. It's not the innovators who transform things. It's the consumers who actually buy into the innovation, who actually transform things. So since consumers are the key transformative force, you have to approach it that you're actually going to approach them with a message of transformation because people don't like personally to take advantage of something that actually hurts other people. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is that the whole high-tech message is totally missing the point. It's not technology that changes things. It's not technologists that transform. It's not innovators or inventors. It's actually the consumers who buy new ideas that transform things. Wow, I love that. That is fascinating, and I have not heard you talk about it in that kind of depth before. One other aspect that occurs to me is that, you know, having been fortunate enough to be part of some of these mm-hmm. high-tech conversations, is that they actually freak themselves out. Yeah. So they'll be like, oh, my gosh, X percent of the population is going to be out of work or truckers or this, that, or the other thing. You know, what are they going to do? And then we need to bring in universal basic income, and then they're restructuring society. <laughs> and they just go down these paths and these rabbit holes way before they're actually in reality, but they scare themselves. Well, and they're buying bunkers and fortresses in New Zealand because they want them and their families to be safe when the whole world falls apart as a result of their disruptions. <laughs> You know, you have to understand that a lot of the leading lights in Silicon Valley would probably still be living in their parents' basement gaming if they hadn't struck it rich on a particular idea. I think it's a lack of adulthood, actually. It's a very childish sort of adolescent attitude towards breaking things. And, you know, that's why I say it's kind of like teenage Mm -hmm. graffiti artists or vandals. But when you look back in history, the people who have really done the most good actually created a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, or a new way of organizing, which allowed people to actually transform things. It actually enabled, it didn't make people less capable, it made them more capable. You know, I think Steve Jobs was really good at that, and I think that's why he's remembered rather fondly. Mm-hmm. You know, at a we're pushing probably ten years, ten mm-hmm. fifteen years. Mm-hmm. I, I forget exactly when he died, 
But one of the things I really loved about Steve Jobs is that he never presented something new to you until you could buy it tomorrow. Right. And that individuals could buy it. Didn't require that you change the entire form of government. It didn't require that you change the entire legal system. It didn't require that. All it required is that, hey, let's try this out and you buy it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So my sense is that he was a much, much more transformative person than any of the present-day technologists. I remember when he introduced the iPod, you know, which could download from iTunes, Mm -hmm. you know, and he said, you know, I don't know if you've had this feeling, but I've had this feeling, you know, I like a song and I go to the record store and they require for me to buy the one song I like. I have to buy 11 other songs. And he says, but I didn't want the other 11 songs, but the only way I could get the 11 songs, because it was packaged as a CD or an album. So he said, so we're going to use the internet and put the music up song by song on the internet, and the ones you like, you download, and it's going to be 99 cents to do it. And by the way, you know, the normal business of the record industry is if a dollar is made, the artist usually gets about five cents of that. And we think that to really encourage artists to put their songs up, and they don't have to have 12 songs to put it on Mm -hmm. the internet. If they have a song, they can put it on the internet. And we think that since they created it, they should get 60 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And with that simple message, he reorganized the entire music world. Mm -hmm. You know, it was one afternoon when he went live around the world, And he transformed the business world. And the truth is, enormous amounts of uncreative people were ripping off creative people and Mm -hmm. ripping off consumers. He transformed a situation so that the people who actually created value got rewarded for it. Dan, I think that's such a powerful message. One of the questions I have is, and I think the point is really consumers, who are the ones who execute on this. Yeah, the transformative force in society are consumers. Well, that's such a powerful takeaway. (laughs) So if I'm someone who wants to take advantage of digital technology or use it, what are some of my best actions? How can I take action on this to make sure that I'm on the transformative side versus disruptive? What are your thoughts about that? Well, don't buy into the idea that if you acquire a new technology, that's going to put you into a disruptive. Then you can go through your hit list and pay back you know, everybody that you dislike who's done you wrong in the past. I think there's a lot of vengeance and revenge involved in the disruptive mindset. The whole point is to make things better. And the thing you start with is you start with individuals that you can test this out on that your new idea or your new anything that you have, just see if someone likes it, you know, and then allow them to kind of say how they could like it better if you improved it. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's transformative is where you involve as many people in a new way of thinking, a new way of operating, a new way of coordinating with each other. But you can start very small. You can start with one person, you know, if you could improve this so that it worked better for you, what would you like to see as the process for doing that? And how would you know that this was better? What would you compare it to? Mm -hmm. And the other thing about the disruptive world is they say, well, if you're not thinking in terms of a billion customers, then forget it, you know? And I said, yeah, yeah, 
that's really, really interesting. But I don't think you have to think in terms of a billion. Let's just start with one person. Does it actually work for one? Well, you, no, no, it doesn't work for one person. No, I mean, if you're going to do this and, you know, we're going to get a billion dollars in investment up front, but we got to promise a billion customers at the end, you know. And I said, yeah, but it might not work. So my feeling is that transformation starts when one person creates something that makes life better for another person. That's where transformation starts. Works for one, you test it out. Then you work for 10, test it out, learn something, 100, 1,000. As long as you're growing, who cares mm -hmm. if it's a billion? <laughs> Which actually describes the whole path of strategic coach, mm -hmm. too. I tested out on one for 15 years, <laughs> uh, lots of ones, but I tested out. And then I had enough that I could do 10, 15, 20 at a time, and then we could have other coaches and everything. But strategic coach doesn't disrupt anything. Mm -hmm. You know, it transforms people's existing resources, their existing capabilities. Move slowly and build things. Yeah, move slowly and build things, yeah. I think the high-tech world now is in a state of crisis. I notice that more and more money is being thrown at less and less results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I think the technology world itself is now being disrupted as a result of its own disruptive thoughts. <laughs> that sounds like a topic for another podcast. Sounds like technological karma. <laughs> there you go. Wonderful. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate your insights. And the whole thing about really that consumers are the transformative force is something I haven't actually heard before. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you very much. At Strategic Coach, we focus on growth in every area of your business and life leading to freedom that entrepreneurs dream of. Join Dan Sullivan, founder of Strategic Coach, for a brand new on-demand web presentation. It's a breakthrough hour of wisdom, insight, and proven strategies. Over 18,000 entrepreneurs can't be wrong. Watch today at danwebinar.com. <laughs>